until this day, just so you know, one of the things that I think about when I wake up, I think I'm programmed at this point, is why are all these amazing people in my world? Why do they stay? Have I raised the ceiling as high as I possibly can to give them opportunity? Now, all of them won't take it. Actually, most won't. Most don't want growth. But am I being the best leader that I can be today by making sure that if they want growth and opportunity, that it's here? Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further, faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Elkema. Welcome to episode 12 of the Real Better Life podcast. And today you are in for a treat because we get to hear from the one and only Lori Reader the leader of one of the top performing teams in the entire United States, as far as real estate organizations are concerned. She runs the Lori Finkelstein Reader team out of South Florida. And in her 26 years in real estate, she and her organization have helped over 7,700 families move to their better life by buying or selling homes. And if you want to put that into sales volume dollars, that is over $2.8 billion in total lifetime sales volume and counting. What we love about Lori and why we wanted to have her on as a guest today is she is one of the best in the country at running a high-performance, high-retention organization. So many of her agents have worked with her for anywhere from 12 to 20 years. And even as she continues to grow, culture and retention are at the forefront of everything she does. So today we're going to hear about building and leading high-performance high retention sales teams by leading from a place of service. And so with that, let's tune in to hear from Lori. All right, Lori, we're live. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's so good to have you on this podcast. I know I just said this when we were just hopping on, but I've heard so many good things about you over the last several years, but just getting an opportunity to meet you and really appreciate your time because you run an unbelievable real estate business. You guys are large, you're growing kicking butt and taking names. And so thankful for you for spending some time with us today. Thank you. I love when someone says, I've heard wonderful things about you. I know those are words, but I take them very literal and it means a lot to me. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I don't say that to people that I've heard a lot of bad things about. So (laughs) (laughs) I just leave that part out. I love it. So I was sitting here thinking of, hey, what do we want to call the topic of this today? And I was looking through some of the different questions I wanted to get through. And I thought, here's a good topic. I think I'm going to call this building, leading, and growing a high retention real estate organization. How's that sound to you? I love that. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, so, right, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. And I think a good launch point for that topic is tell us a little bit about how you first got started in real estate and what did life before real estate look like for you? Always love that question. So I found myself after traveling the world with my ex-husband, a single mom with two kids. And I actually had grown up in what I call a family. My parents were both real estate brokers. And so I really grew up in real estate. And when I found myself single with two little ones, I moved back to the U.S. from Australia and, um, you know, just kind of reached out to my parents. I'm like, you know what? It's time for me to jump in, get a career. I had been a court reporter in my past life before babies. 
And my parents were like, oh, this is wonderful. It's time for you to get into real estate. And I kind of really push back on that. You know, when your parents tell you what to do, you're like, no. (laughs) But, you know, we know they always know more than we know. (laughs) So I got my real estate license. And honestly, six weeks into it, I said to my mom and my dad, I'm like, why didn't you guys tell me to do this sooner? I said, this is just amazing. Like I get to help human beings and I'm making money. This is amazing. So it's just been a really interesting ride since then. But for me, it was just kind of a natural, I guess, progression because I grew up in it. Went to my first open house when I was 10 years old, used to love to go with my mom. And ever since then, I have been, I guess the word is obsessed. I am obsessed with the real estate industry. Oh, interesting. And just really lots and lots and lots of bumps in the road. But I'm smiling really big as we're recording this because... I've had such a incredible, fulfilling ride, and I hope that it keeps going and going. That's so good to hear because it's interesting. Dave and I have talked about this quite a bit, even on some of the other podcast episodes, where people that are massively successful in real estate don't always necessarily love real estate, or as you put it, they're not necessarily obsessed about it. Right? Their mm-hmm. real estate ties in with maybe some other passions or obsessions. But um, yeah. what is the part of it that you really love? The way you just put it was really great. I think that a lot of people need to hear that because... What I actually love is the human connection. And I get to be a part of someone's typically, sometimes it's their most challenging time of life, their most saddest time of life, or their happiest time of life. I'm not an HGTV junkie. It's not like the house I love. You know, you've seen one. I've seen so many houses at this point, like I can't even get excited about a house. (laughs) My husband and I are always looking for property and he's like, you just don't get excited. I'm like, it's different. It's not the house that moves me. It was the human being, their experience and getting to be a part of that. So what moves me till this day is the human connection, helping other people. And it's really changed for me now. It's not just consumers, it's real estate agents and all different areas of staffing in a real estate company and connections with those people that really tend to move me. You know, watching someone, whether they're starting a career from beginning or their mid-career, just wouldn't matter. It's how can I be a part of their journey and help them genuinely have that life by design, right? Make a good living, you know, at their career, make a good living, but more than that, fund a really good life. We're not even a couple minutes in. You're dropping all kinds of good stuff. I'm just speaking my heart and my truth, my friend. Oh, so good. It's so good. Yeah, life by design. I just jotted that down. That's phenomenal. I, I bet yeah. we're going to come back around to that. So I learned you... that about 15 years ago, and I had never thought about it ever, Rob. It wasn't something that came to my mind. And I was sitting in a mastermind, and I was about two feet from Gary Keller, and he shouts out and talks about it. He's like, you know, it's all about the life by design. And it was at that moment I thought to myself, what I do for a living is to fund the life that I want to live. I've really lived like that. And I still do until this day. And it's a concept that we need to teach more people, right? You got to love what you do, make a great living, but it's to fund the life that you want to actually live. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm seeing why you and Dave have always been so close for years is because we talk so much about our why. The thing that gets us out of bed in the morning is to help move people to their better life. And that's the exact same thing that you're talking about, just different terminology. Yeah. Oh, Dave's awesome. I mean, he's just incredible. I've actually learned a lot from him and have a lot of respect for him. Yeah. Yeah. If he was on here, we would poke fun at him. But since he's not here, I guess we'll... Oh, we can still poke fun at him. I didn't say we were going to poke fun at him. I'm in. I am definitely in. All right. So I want to go back to something you said. This was interesting. And this segues into what I want to talk about, because here you are, 26 years of real estate experience. You have one of the top teams in the entire state of Florida. 
I went on your website and I saw roughly 90 agents that you work with on there. And you said at first the human connection was with consumers and clients that you were helping buy or sell homes, but then it became agents too. And one of the questions I had is, how long were you in personal production before you decided you wanted to build and lead an organization? Wow, great question. (laughs) I never knew I wanted to build and lead a big organization, if you really want to know. Um, That was very organic at first. But when I got into real estate, I knew very early on that my sweet spot and my superpower, if you will, was really connecting with a human being that was looking to buy or sell a home and understanding their needs, right? Why they're doing it. What happens if they don't do it? How does this impact their family, their life? And when I realized that that was my superpower and being on the other side of the transaction, the transaction management side, the marketing side, I was a disaster. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's just call it what it is. And very early on, I sought out a transaction manager. And just so you know, and your audience knows, I didn't have any money. So I really had to look hard for someone who was willing, who had faith in me and trust in me that Mm -hmm. I would pay them when the deal closed. So I started very early. I've never been shy about being honest with myself and others about what I'm not good at. I think we're not built to be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. And part of being capable and successful at leading and growing a team is no ego and making sure that when you're not great at something, that you give someone else the opportunity to impact your business because they are great at it. So how long was it? You get the transaction manager. And if I'm reading between the lines, it was like you started to build out some pieces around you. And then gradually those pieces turned into a team and an organization. Yeah. So what happened was very early on in my career, let's say, let's talk about like the first three years, four years, I made a decision to really go above and beyond with the consumer. Now, just so you know, I know a lot of people say, hey, I give amazing service. I go above and beyond, but I legitimately took steps to go above and beyond. Mm. And my business grew very, very fast organically. So I had a buyer, they became a seller, they recommended people to me. It was all through referrals and repeat and referral business. So the team grew pretty quickly. I had my first buyer agent within the first, I'd say, year and a half, two years. By the time I was five years into the business, I had a team of about seven. And we really just grew from there. The evolution of me growing a larger team came, maybe it's good for you to know, I have a handful of people who have been with my team, some between 12 and 17, 18 years. So once those experienced agents, we all made the decision together. We felt they would take over my book of business and I would then work on growth and development and grow a much larger company. Uh, okay. That was a collective decision. Yeah, that's so good. Can we go back to when you said you made this decision to go above and beyond, but then you actually took steps to do that? What are a couple of examples of what that looked like specifically? What did you change? I love that question. I love all your questions, actually. They're really good. So I have a saying. You might read it somewhere in my website or somewhere. It'll, it'll say people over profit. Mm. Pro- profits, plural. And so mm. to me, going above and beyond meant regardless of any sort of financial win, the consumer my client, the human, was going to leave that transaction feeling so good that I wasn't there for the money, but I was there for the long-term relationship. 
So it didn't matter to me, you know, on the day of closing, the washer machine broke. Okay, no worries. Like my guy went and I bought it, installed a new washing machine. I made sure that first night they had dinner sent to their home. I sent a cleaning crew in. It it wasn't about the money. It was about the relationship. And I was going to make sure that I treated them like they were the only client I had ever worked for. Yeah, And I could count on around three to six referrals a year from each of those people. Wow. Wow. That dinner, the day of moving, that's so key. And the cleaning, the cleaning was huge. Oh my goodness. Yep. I think that how you win with that is a lot of real estate agents are not given the good fortune that I had of great coaching, but it all starts from that initial consultation or meeting buyer or seller doesn't matter. And it's spending that one hour, two hours, I don't care how many hours it takes to really understand why someone's buying or selling, what their needs are. And really, you're just a guide. You're guiding them, you're helping them, and you're making sure that they leave that transaction feeling really, really happy. As happy as they can, Rob, because sometimes, I mean, I have found in my career, it's 50-50, 50% of the time I was in a transaction, they were going through an, a really bad event. And the other 50%, they were going through an exciting, happy event. And it was my job when I was at the time in my career working in the field with these exceptional humans to make sure that I met them where they were at for them, not for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes being a friend looks different for different people. It does. Yeah. So as you went through your career and your career evolved, the team grew. I was curious when you look back on that experience, what were the big mindset shifts or tactical shifts that needed to happen to go from the mindset of an individual producer to someone who's leading other people and then leading teams of people? So until this day, just so you know, one of the things that I think about when I wake up, I think I'm programmed at this point, is why are all these amazing people in my world? Why do they stay? Have I raised the ceiling as high as I possibly can to give them opportunity? Now, all of them won't take it. Actually, most won't. Most don't want growth. But am I being the best leader that I can be today by making sure that if they want growth and opportunity, that it's here? And going back to mind shifts in me growing as a leader and growing a team, the biggest mind shift I ever, ever had to make was probably mid-career, not mid-career, five to eight years in was, you know what, Lori, this is not about you. This is about success with other people, right? If you, Rob, wanted to join my company, to me, if it wasn't a win-win and you were not going to win with inside, inside of this company, then we were not going to have success together. I'll still say till this day, I don't think we are for everybody and I don't think everybody is for us. Even in interviews back in the day when I would do the interviewing, one of the first things I would say to someone is, hey, listen, you know, a team is not for everyone. I would ask them multiple questions about what that might feel like and how that might feel to them and impact them. So my mind shift was if I could not change your life for the better, if I could not make it better for you on my end, then we weren't a good fit. And I still mean that until this day. So if you were interviewing with me, I would tell you straight off the bat, you know, in the first five to 10 minutes, I would have told you in the first five to 10 minutes, you know, I just want you to know that if I am not convinced that I can change your life for the better, that our company, that our organization cannot do better by you, we're not going to be a good fit. But if I come to the conclusion 
that we can be have a positive impact on your life, that we can change it for the better, then let's keep talking. Yes. Yep. And I think that opens up so much space for the person that's sitting through that interview, or I'm sure agents that come on board with you. It opens up that space then for them to be vulnerable and trust you like, oh, I'm not going to get sold something, right? No. We can just have a dialogue about this. I'm going to pause for just a second because I want to come back around to retention, but there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on as well. When you're in leadership and you're leading an organization and your organization has gotten bigger over the years, one thing that we're a huge fan of is something we call the support challenge matrix, where the leaders we look up to the most, the leaders we respect, the leaders that help people get the most out of themselves are often ones that are really good at balancing a really high level of support along with a really high level of challenge, knowing when I need to love on this person and knowing when I need to be a little tough on them. And so can you talk about knowing when to support, knowing when to challenge, and how have you maintained a good balance with the people that you've worked with over the years? Well, for starters, the easy part of our company is that if you're not a cultural fit, let's say you can sell 100 houses a year, Mm -hmm. but culturally, at some point, we become disaligned or we're not aligned anymore. Those are easy decisions, right? We're not for sale in that sense. I've had many agents come through our organization where they're going great, things are going amazing, and then something really takes a hard left, and then we just have to part ways. It's best for them, and it's best for the company. Always making decisions for the greater good of the whole. As far as trying to hold people accountable and love on them and make sure that we are really there for them when they need us, That is a very, very hard balance. What I have found is that top performers, they not only crave accountability, they demand it, Mm. right? I have performers that one gentleman in particular, I'll just tell you, he's been here, I think 17 or 18 years. And, you know, I'll tell him, hey, listen, you're doing great. Yes, you're not on target for your goal, but you're only blank away from your goal. And he'll be like, please don't tell me I'm doing great. Like, I want you to tell me, look, either you either hit the goal or you don't hit the goal. So the higher producing, the more they are a top performer, they will demand accountability, like demand it. And if you don't give it, it's kind of like, that's like their love language. Right. Makes sense? Yeah. And everybody's different, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's a challenge. Yeah. So what are some of the behaviors and the keys that you look for of like knowing when to lean in with a little more love and knowing when they need a little bit more accountability? What do you watch for? I mean, the decision is based around your standard. You might, if you have a hundred agents, like you can't just ebb and flow for a hundred people. No one, ha- I don't have that kind of time. Sales managers don't have that kind of time, which right. is why you need standards to manage your world. So if you have standards and part of the standard is, Hey, listen, this is what you have to do to work with for the company. That's the easy part. Making sure that lines of communications are wide open and there's no judgment and everyone is accepted and cared for for who they are leaves this wide open to make sure that we are taking care of one another. But I'm not a believer in a lineup, 25, 50 different real estate agents, and I've got to figure out something different with each one of them. That would not be scalable for anyone that's growing a large company. But if you have good standards in place and you have an open line of communication, meaning, hey, listen, something's going on in your life. Please tell us. We want to be there for you. We want to support you. That works. That's good. And then can you talk for a minute about what are the standards for your organization? The standards in our organization today, because we are going to be making some big shifts and changes, which will not be announced for about another 30 days. But today, our standard is that in order to work here, you have to do X amount of lead generation per week. It is currently 
We are at, you know, I can't even remember. I'll have to circle back to that one, but it's 12 sales a year, one transaction per month. Forever in a day, we were at 24, but as the market evolved and transactions are down by, I think, 50% throughout the country, we tried to help the agent by matching that a little bit. But lead generation is not an option, right? It's X amount of hours per week, X amount of dials through follow-up boss, and one sale per month. Got it. Got it. And I know you just mentioned a couple of things there, but what sort of things are they doing for lead gen? Is it just calling out of the pond and follow-up boss? Is it open houses? Is it... Work in your sphere. What sort of activities is somebody engaged in to legion with your work? All of those. Open house is very big for us. We run a large open house system. Lead generation for me, open house, social media, networking events. To me, none of this replaces the phone, right? You can send a thousand emails. You can send text messages. You can send video text messages. You can do open house, social media. It's endless. But getting on that phone and saying, hey, listen, I am going to dial for the first two hours of the day. And if I get that appointment, great. If not, I'm going to the third hour. Nice. That's hard. I'm not yeah. saying that many people do it. I'm saying that is what we're striving for. Yeah. What I like about it, it is hard. And there's something special culturally when you do hard things and you suffer together with people. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think a lot of people are suffering because, you know, I mean, undoubtedly people got away from the basics when mm-hmm. real estate went through this wild ride during the COVID era yep. and agents didn't need to sit on the phone and make calls and lead generate. And, and I think that really hurt realtors because okay. I'm watching now so many, they don't have sales because they got away from their lead generation skills. So many of them are suffering. So people are talking about going back to basics. My goal is that we never leave that again. Awesome. We never leave the basics again. So I want to ask you a tough question. As you look back through the years, what have been one or two of your biggest leadership mistakes? And what did you learn from those one or two mistakes that come to mind? Only one or two? (laughs) Only one or two. Well, you only get to pick one or two. Oh my gosh. So many mistakes. Just between us, my claim to fame is I am a master at failing. (laughs) (laughs) I would say biggest leadership mistake above all of them. It's my personality. I'm still working on it. I typically fall in love with people, right? I don't even know you and I like you and you sound like a nice person. So like I really genuinely like people. And I would say biggest leadership mistake is keeping the wrong person in my world too long, right? Because, well, things will change. Oh, okay, well, they'll stop doing that. They'll get out of that situation, you know? And, and, you know, just having so much faith in the other person that it probably hurt our organization and our growth because I couldn't let go. And it has happened more than once. This is a couple times back before I had a COO who was, now that does not happen at all. It has not happened since I have a COO. Oh, but awesome. biggest mistake is definitely holding on to the wrong people for too long. Yeah. And it's hard, right? It's hard for me, but it's not hard for other people, but really tough for me. Well, I tend to be a little bit more like your COO sounds like. Yes. Um, <laughs> Dave tends to be a little bit more like you. He calls it the believer, right? He's like, I'm just a believer. I just There you I go. Find you just reasons. gave me a title I didn't even know I had. Yeah. I find reasons why this person could work and how it could shift. And then I want to see them win. And then I pour all this time and energy into helping them win. And I think there's something really good about that, right? Like there's something very biblical about that. I mean, who doesn't want somebody in their corner believing in them and doing everything they can to help that person succeed? But you're right. There are larger implications within an organization of how that affects 
everyone else in the organization, not just that one individual person. And so that's a tough dichotomy that I feel like that tension's always there, no matter how you're wired. Yeah. So you're a coach. You're not just a phenomenal leader, but you're also a business coach. And I so I thought, that. well, shoot, I got the great Lori Reader on the line for a moment in time. What? Oh, come on. <laughs> you have a different perspective. So this is cool. What are one or two of the most common things that you see hold other leaders back from having either the kind of success or the kind of impact that they're striving for? Many leaders and in particular people leading and growing real estate teams or companies actually organically by accident, all of a sudden found themselves in a leadership role, right? They were great real estate agents. They sold a ton of houses and now all of a sudden, poof, I'm a leader. Yes. And that's really tough. And the realization of that is that it takes a lot of education, lots of training, and I mean training by other leaders, reading the right books, sitting in the right rooms, hiring the right coaches, and having this massive willingness and eagerness to put your ego aside and fail. And a lot of people struggle with that. No one naturally wakes up and says, kind of suck at this. I'm going to fail. Instead of like, kind of like waving the flag and say, I give in. Okay. Tell me what to do. Get me the right coach. Put me in the right room. Most people just try to wing it on their own. I believe that's all ego. Yeah. It's funny because the people you're coaching are coaching with you. So they can't have that big of an ego, right? Because they're asking for help. But I've seen what you're talking about many times where people go to great lengths to try to cover up their flaws and their shortcomings rather than just addressing them. And sometimes I almost wonder like, hey, do you realize it would actually be less work to just admit you suck at this, work on it and ask for help than it would be to come up with this this disguise and hope that nobody notices, you know, and eventually it always comes out. And yeah, that's the hard part of leadership is you're, you're up higher for people to see and not only are they going to see the things you're doing well, but they're doubly going to see the flaws and the, the mistakes and the things you're not doing well. And it's hard. That's a hard space to live in as a leader. Anything else you notice that consistently holds people back? You know, um, also in leadership, one of the things that I have personally found really challenging is that, and maybe it's my personality, but like I meet so many great people and I want, I see something in them that I know they've got this massive potential and I really want it for them. But I usually want it for them more than they want it for themselves. Yeah. And that's been really hard, you know, as, as a younger team. I think where I really grew up as a younger team was when maybe I had to let someone go or they left the team. I would be so hurt, not from a production standpoint or losing money standpoint, but just from the fact that we were no longer working together. And lucky for me, very early on in the process, I realized, you know what, when somebody joins our company, like I get really excited and we celebrate them. So maybe we should behave the same way when we release them or they leave and we should also celebrate them. They were just meant to be with us for a certain part in our journey and their journey. Doesn't mean we won't still be friends. Doesn't mean we can't still care for one another. We're just not going to be in business together. So just learning as a leader that you've got to celebrate people when they come and go. Yeah, You can't just celebrate them when they join. Yeah. Well, if I can give some language to you that I picked up from my friend Travis years ago, he had this really catchy saying that summarizes what you just said. It's uh, everyone is here for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Yep. I love that. 
for right. a reason, a season, or a lifetime. That's beautiful. I love and that. So sometimes, yeah, it is sad, right? It is sad when you love this person and you've worked together for a year or two and you see this potential and you see this bright future ahead of yeah. them and all of a sudden something happens and they leave. But yeah. I think there's some solace in going, they were just here for a season yeah. and hopefully they can look back. And it sounds like the way you run your organization and just your heart for people. I bet a lot of those people can look back and go, you know what? I'm better. I'm better off as a person and I'm better off in my career because of the time I spent with Lori. And they do. And they come back and tell me or I see them. We still speak. I speak to just about everybody. And that's exactly what they say. And it really is such a great feeling to hear that. And I also think in the real estate industry, especially the last couple of years, maybe the last year, year and a half, a lot of people, especially in the South Florida area, we have a saying here, if you have a driver's license, you have a real estate license. But the concept of working and lead generating and really doing what it takes to win here is not lining up with a lot of people's effort. So it's really interesting to me, you know, back in the day, you could just sell your friends and family some houses, a couple of friends' houses, you know, and it's not like that anymore. So I think people get their real estate license and it's a great thing to do because there really is no ceiling on your earning potential. You do have freedom. It's a fantastic career, but the other piece they're leaving out is the work. Yeah. Right. You don't get any of the win without the work. Yeah. So I watched a video you did where you talked about success is boring. It's super boring because you're doing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> yeah, but it works. That's funny. That's funny. Well, thank you for watching my video. Yeah, you're welcome. I want to go here. This is one of the things Dave and I were most looking forward to because you are the queen of retention. I don't know that we know anybody. I don't know anybody better in real estate at retention. I need a crown. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you one made and send it in the mail. So the question there is, you've got this amazing reputation and the results to back it up. So can you talk to us about a few things? How you think about your agents, which I know you've talked about a little bit. How you think about your agents. What do you do to maintain such a high level of retention? Because I'm sure it comes from your heart, but then there's probably some tactics to back that up. And then I what think, are those agents exit strategies when they're done selling real estate with you? Yeah, I mean, I think we did hit on it, but I'd love to hit on it again, because at the end of the day, and reality is, is that an agent is going to stay within a company as long as they're getting the value that they're there for and they're achieving their goals, right? No one gives two hoots about our to-do list or my goals. Yep. Nobody cares how many houses I want to sell. Nobody cares how many agents I want to hire. That's not anyone's, it's not, my stuff is not on your to-do list. But I think when an agent or a staff member, because I kind of like, to me, it's in the same space now, now that I'm sitting on the growth and development side for the last five years, I believe that as long as we are providing value, and that by value, I mean, right, for agents, it's services, it's training, it's me continuously growing the business so that they can grow their business inside of my business. It's understanding what's important to them. And as long as we are aligned with that, making sure that we're meeting their needs and their goals, we're giving them what they need to meet their goals. Yeah. Like tactical, if you mean, I would say I have the most outstanding staff on the planet. So our agents absolutely love working for our staff and having them support them. Like I have invested a lot in the people that are working within my company that are on the staff side right? I take really good care of my people because then they're going to go and take care of the agents. Yes. Right. And an agent is going to stay. It doesn't matter who your company is. It doesn't matter if it's me or if it's Dave or it's insignificant, but it's always going to line up with, are you providing them with value and can they achieve their goals inside of your company? 
it's really cut and dry. It's not any, it's not any messier than that. This is fascinating to me. I, I'm dying to go back to this. When you said, I tried to jot it down real quick. I need to make sure I'm growing my business so they can grow their business within the business. That's right. Um, what do you mean by that? Talk a little bit more about what that looks like specifically. Right. So that's my job, right? Every day is, is our company growing and expanding? Are we bringing on the right relationships? Let's say my relationship with Zillow. Let's talk about my relationship with lots of big companies, which then gives my agents opportunities. Mm-hmm. Is my marketing team growing and expanding and helping the agent really grow their brand? Are my transaction coordinators just so incredible that our agents, they just don't know how to do a deal without them. So it's really this well-oiled machine of everybody working towards one goal, but making sure each person can hit their individual goals. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, that totally makes sense, right? Where they wouldn't even want to leave because of the value you're providing and what you, and especially when you said it, like the opportunities you're creating, that makes more sense, right? With with different partnerships or vendors or internal processes. That makes a ton of sense. I think that also something really important to talk about is that there are going to be times when even great agents that you are providing value to, or you are giving them everything, the stars, the moon, the sun. Some people just hit a point in their life where they say to themselves, you know what, I want to go try this on my own, or I want to move to try a different team, or I want to open a brokerage. You know, it happens. What's important is that when you end that relationship, what's important about that is so that they want to come back if it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. I had an agent leave. She left about two weeks ago, approximately two weeks ago. And she said to me, Lori, please promise me if it doesn't work out, I want to come back. I just need to try this on my own. And I said to her, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, I'll be waiting right here for you, but I'll be cheering you on. Go live your life. I think I've gotten so good at letting people go that many of them want to come back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. I'm really not kidding. Good for you for having that level of trust that the people you work with feel comfortable coming to you and telling you that they're thinking of going independent and opening their own brokerage and, and that there's a dialogue there. It's not just this bombshell as they're walking out the door. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that if your heart is in the right place and you genuinely care about helping others, if you want to support people on their path, on their journey, right? You might be a part of it for a period and you may not be a part of it for a period, but it's their right to live the life they want to live. I am not attached to any of that. I will cheer you on like no one's business. And you know, part of that too, Rob, I mean, I never worry about like, hey, do I have enough agents? Do enough agents want to join our company? I don't think like that because I'm very confident in the value that we provide. Like we're the real deal. So when you come and join our company, if it's working for you, then that's awesome. But if it's not, that's also awesome. And team leaders have got to get to that space. Yes. I've had the most growth since my mindset shifted to that. So well said. Since I could let go and celebrate people joining and people leaving, I've had more growth than I've ever had. That's good. Man, we could stop right there, but we're not going to. I got just a couple more questions for you. This one's very very (laughs) timely. Uh, There's this NAR lawsuit going on right now, right? And as a leader, leaders have to see around corners and leaders have to have some foresight and an ability to forecast what's going to happen and then make adjustments preemptively to plan and prepare for those things. So with that lawsuit looming, 
what are your thoughts on that in terms of what you think the outcome will be? And what are things that you're doing or how are you preparing for that as a leader running a pretty large organization? So I'd have to ask you which NAR lawsuit you're speaking about. The one about buyer commissions. Okay, because there's a lot of NAR lawsuits going on <laughs> right <big> now. <laughs> um, I am familiar with some of it because I do receive Inman news. If it doesn't come through Inman or Hallmark Channel, I'm probably not going to hear about it. Just kidding. Um, I do love the Hallmark Channel. Let that be known to the whole world. But as far as the NAR lawsuit, this has been going on for years. I mean, these types of situations about commission, who's going to pay commission. I mean, I'm not really going to spend time anticipating something that may never happen. If we are given the information that we have to pivot in a direction, we'll pivot. But right now, that's not the case. And I have not heard any other real estate agents, team leaders, team owners, Gary Keller. I don't hear it come up. Interesting. Okay. Not in the masterminds I sit in. I mean, I sit in some pretty some pretty badass masterminds with the top, top, <laughs> yes, top teams in the country. Yep. Never comes up. It is not a topic of conversation. We're talking about growth. Awesome. I love where your head's at on that. As we wrap up, if you could go back and do things over again, knowing what you know now and having the experience that you have, what are some things that you would have done differently? And what would be some advice you would give to young leaders, young team leaders, somebody who's thinking about making that shift from personal production into a leadership role? That is absolutely my favorite question of the day. I don't know that I would have done it differently, but I just want to share the part about where you said, what advice would you give to somebody who's considering running a team, becoming a team leader? So I, from day one, took it very, very personally. And to me, it was a huge responsibility. If someone was going to trust me with their business, with their livelihood, with the ability for them to grow, make money, support their family, I call it keep the lights on. And I think a lot of people get into leading teams and brokerages for themselves, not so much to help others win. And when somebody asks me, like, why do you think you've had success? I believe it's not because I have, I don't think I'm much different than most people. I'm a pretty basic person. But I genuinely did not get into this for myself. I was already very successful as an individual agent and a real estate investor. It's not where I was building my wealth. I will tell you that if you want to lead, then you need to get into it to lead and to care for others and to open gateways and pathways and to be able to help other people succeed. If you're getting into it for yourself, the outcome doesn't typically look like this. Right. So if you ask me, would I do anything different? The only thing I can ever think of that I would have done differently is I would have probably maybe failed a little faster, mm. right? Because I started to fail probably like, I didn't start really failing until the eighth or 10th year, but I wish I had failed faster. I wasn't taking enough chances. I wasn't taking enough risk, right? When you think about it, unless you're really leaning into something and you're taking risk and you're, unless you're taking risk, you're probably not going to be failing because you're going to be playing it in the safe zone. So I just, I wish I'd taken more risk when I was even younger than I did. The one thing I would do differently on top of that is that I have an insane database, like hundreds of thousands of people, but I didn't start that database until probably year seven to eight. Wow. Are you kidding me? No. And that was a big fail. And I love talking about it because if I had done that, I'd have hundreds of more thousands of people's names. So I think some people, they don't see the value in it, but I mean, come on, it's everything. That's so good. Okay. 
What's one thing I haven't asked you today that I should have? And one thing that you might want to share with the audience before we wrap up? Well, you didn't ask me if I've ever won the lottery. (laughs) Have you ever won the lottery? I have won the lottery. (laughs) How much? I gotcha, Rob. How much? So about five years ago, my real estate team and I, we decided we had never played the lottery as a team or I don't even know if I'd ever played the lottery. And we saw that it was like a lot of money. So I think eight of us or so, we all chipped in and we put 20 bucks in each and we bought a couple lottery tickets and we ended up winning the lottery. We won a million dollars. So (laughs) I was just playing around with you, but we did win the lottery. That's so great. You can Google it. It was one of the biggest stories about a real estate team. (laughs) Google that. You'll see it. Lori Reader, Powerball. That's awesome. You'll you'll get a really funny story. Um, I don't think there's anything you didn't ask me. Actually, I think your questions have been amazing. What I love about your questions, because I do a lot of podcasts and I do a lot of interviews, I love about your questions is because a lot of my answers, I feel confident, can help people with growth. They can mm-hmm. help people move their organization, their team, whatever it is they're passionate about is, you know, inside of that real estate and growth space can help them move to the next step. A lot of people think it's a system. It's a course. It's this. A lot of this is a mindset and how you treat other people. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I mean, that's why we do the podcast is our hope is that anybody who's listening to this picks up at least one golden nugget each time they listen. And it's something that's going to help them go further faster as they move towards their better life, or as you would put it, the life by design. Um, Well, a lot of people would prefer me to recommend a system or a product. Hey, how do you do this? Oh, just go buy this. Because this is a lot harder. Yep. Yeah, you're right. It is. The system or the product, it's easy. It's quick. It's obvious. Really fast. Right. This is not the same. Yeah. What you're talking about is, um, well, I'll ask you this. You don't have to answer it if you want to. During our conversation, I was going to ask you, hey, when's the last time you cried? When's the last time your business made you cry? Because it strikes me that some of the best leaders I know, like periodically, it's like if you're not crying, you're not trying. I bet you've shed some tears along the way. If you if you want to share one of those recent ones, feel free. If not, we don't have to go there. Cry happy tears or sad tears? Because I cry for both. Either one. <laughs> well, I think, you know, let's just like go back a little ways over the years. I think the few times that I got really emotionally, we'll call it emotionally charged, was when I was in production and my clients were going through a really tough time. I mean people where their spouse was passing away. I mean, I've seen it all. Mm -hmm. And people look at real estate. Oh, look at these real estate agents. Like, you know, they make all this money and all they have to do is sell a house. It's so easy. And it's really not easy. It's a beautiful career, but I've cried a lot of tears. I've cried with a lot of my customers along the way. And I, till this day, I still cry with a lot of my agents when they're going through tough times. And you were probably looking more for an answer around the line of like, you know, when has your business really gotten to you? And Anybody, I don't care who you are, if you're running a team my size or midsize or small size, this last 12 months has been a bear. It's been my hardest, toughest year in real estate. But I would tell you that I'm crying happy tears around that. And I know that's going to sound really strange to you, but it's been one of the greatest years for me because this market has really exposed me as a leader to myself. It exposed my business. It has really gotten me to open my eyes and know like, hey, it's time for a change. It's time for a pivot. It's time to do something big. And I'm grateful for it because honestly, had we just kept sailing through, I would not have been made aware of the things I need to change in my business. And I'm all about getting better. 
Well, let's wrap up there. That is so good. Such a good spot to leave off on. And uh, I bet I'm you excited. tell everybody that. No, no, that's <laughs> not true. That's not true, Lori. I mean, it. Uh, I'm kidding. You you have some big things ahead of you. It sounds like, and I'm really excited to tune in and see how the business continues to change for the better for you. And as we wrap up, I just want to say thank you. You have such an amazing heart, so much authenticity. You are so transparent today. I appreciated the stories you shared. Like this was awesome. So you are welcome back anytime. And thank you so much for making time for us today. It's my pleasure. And please give my love to my friend. I will do that. All right, Rob. Nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Have a great one. Thanks, Lori. Take care. Bye. 